Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. You might remember a few months ago, Richard spoke from Ecclesiastes and explored the theme of of time in Scripture. And you might remember he had water and Coke and Metamucil and talked about the different ways that Scripture speaks of time. Well, in our passage today, we get to see how this all plays out in the life of Jesus as he pays careful attention to speak and act at the right time. I find the whole concept of speaking and acting at the right time quite elusive. More often than not, I act too quickly or too slowly. I speak without thinking or I don't speak when I should. I rush a task or I procrastinate over an important job. But occasionally there are these these moments when the timing is just right. You happen to be in the right place at the right time to offer words of comfort or to intervene and prevent a tragedy or to help someone when they're in need of assistance. These moments, they're often unplanned and unexpected. They're these kind of serendipitous moments of God's grace and reminders that our time and plans are out of our control and sit in the hands of God. But in our passage today, we see that Jesus is deeply attuned to his Father's timing. While I might occasionally stumble upon good timing by God's grace, Jesus was so aware of his Father's plan and and the circumstances around him that his timing was impeccable. And as we explore this passage today, we're going to see just how wonderful God's timing is and, and how it challenges us to place our time and our plans in God's hands. So let's pray as we we come to God's word. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your spirit is with us now, forming us, speaking to us by your word. And Lord, we pray that you would form our hearts, that you would help us uh, to, to move us ever more towards trust and reliance upon you. Amen. So at the end of chapter 6 in John, you you might remember, it it finished with many of Jesus' followers abandoning him. And so chapter 7 is a bit of a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. The, The initial excitement about Jesus has begun to fade. People have started to desert him. And to the crowds, it might have seemed like Jesus was turning out to be just another flash in the pan. But it wasn't just the crowds who felt this way. Our our story opens with Jesus being confronted by his own family members, his four younger brothers. It's a bit difficult to work out the tone of the conversation here, but we're told that the, the brothers were speaking from a posture of unbelief. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God or the Messiah. I can only imagine what the conversations in that household would have been like. 
Perhaps they thought he was ambitious, wanting to make a name for himself. Maybe they thought it a bit of a joke, or, or maybe even saw this as an opportunity for themselves. But their advice to him is clear. Go up to the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. Go to this great big festival and make yourself known to the crowds. Next slide. So the Feast of Booths was one of three great celebrations in the Jewish calendar. During the festival, people from all over the region would make a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem where they'd build these little huts and live in them for eight days. It was a time of remembering Israel's journey through the wilderness and how God provided for them. In the eyes of his four brothers, this was a perfect opportunity. What a perfect place for Jesus to go and make a name for himself and impress the crowds. All these followers have left him. Well, this is a time to remedy the situation. And so they urge him, perhaps with a glint of ambition in their own eyes, go now. Take hold of this opportunity and show yourself to the world. According to the timetable of the world, the best moment for self-promotion is always now. It reminds me of Robin Williams urging his students in Dead Poets Society to seize the day. Make your lives extraordinary. As finite people, we feel this urgency to make the most of the time that we have. We want to leave a mark. Suck the marrow from every moment. And in a society that's obsessed with efficiency, we can't stand the thought of missing out on a big opportunity. But Jesus is not impressed with the advice of his brothers. He replies, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. It's, it's almost as if Jesus is saying to them, you're living on a different timeline to me. Your sense of timing is completely different to mine. For Jesus' brothers, they had no sense of the bigger picture, no sense of the circumstances going on in Jerusalem. Their only concern was that Jesus needed to grow in popularity. For them, Jesus just had to take hold of this opportunity and act. But we get a glimpse as to why now was not the right time as Jesus explains that the world hates him. And as the story transitions from Jesus' conversation with his brothers to the, the feast going on in Jerusalem, John tells us that there's religious leaders there who are looking to arrest Jesus and even have him killed. We get this sense that if Jesus were to go up publicly to the feast performing mighty signs and wonders... It wouldn't take long before he was arrested. And so he tells his brothers to go without him. Go ahead. And he stays in Galilee. But then there's this strange turn of events in verse 10. Jesus decides to attend the festival after all. But I don't, I don't think that, it's, that Jesus lied to his brothers or that he changed his mind. It seems that Jesus was always going to go to the feast but the manner of his going would be according to his father's timetable not according to the ambitions of his brothers 
The outcome of all this is that Jesus' decision to wait for the right time creates three opportunities for him to teach and challenge people and reveal his glory at the festival. There's wonderful conversations that take place, confronting conversations. But I want to just focus on the final encounter where Jesus talks to the crowds about living water. So on on the last day of the Feast of Booths, a parade would take place where the crowds would gather at the Pool of Siloam outside the city gates. And there a priest would fill a big jar with water and the crowds would follow him through the streets of Jerusalem up to the temple where the water would be poured out on the altar. And this was a ritual that symbolised a prayer of the people that God would provide rain for the crops in Israel. And John emphasises that it was on this last day of the feast and almost certainly during or after this parade that Jesus stands up and finally speaks publicly to the crowds. And he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So once again, we see Jesus' beautiful sense of timing as he waits for the right moment to speak. With every heart and mind turned towards God in prayer for water, Jesus reveals himself as the living, eternal well who will pour out the Holy Spirit. You might have noticed through the passage that the crowds are really divided about Jesus. There's a general cynicism and even anger towards him from the religious leaders. Yet in response to this timely conversation, this timely moment, we see the crowds respond in faith as many proclaim him as the great prophet and the Messiah of God. As I was Reflecting on this passage, I was reminded of a scene in The Lord of the Rings. If you've read the books or seen the movies, you might remember this scene. There's this bit where Frodo Baggins is frustrated with Gandalf the wizard because he arrives late for his birthday celebrations. And in response, Gandalf says this, A wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. I think that's a pretty fitting quote for the passage today. And I can imagine Jesus saying something quite similar to his brothers as they chastise him for missing his big moment. God is never late, brothers, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Had Jesus followed his brother's timetable, he may have been in jail on the last day of the feast. That conversation may never have have happened. Of course, we don't know exactly what would have taken place, but it seems likely. Had he gone up in public, he may never have had the opportunity to call out the religious leader's hypocrisy in public. Though he was definitely late in the eyes of the world, though according to his brothers he'd missed his big moment, Jesus' patient surrender to his father's timetable proved to be just right. And we continue to see how attuned Jesus is to his father's timetable and timing. In, in Romans 5, up on the screen there, there's these beautiful words. You can see them all up there. At just 
You, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. That's still a bit of a mystery to me, I have to say. I, what, what, I, sometimes I wonder, why didn't Jesus come sooner? Why not later? What, what difference would it have made? Well, God in his sovereign, all-knowing, loving wisdom chose, as he always does, to act at the right time in Christ. We, we heard from Proverbs earlier. We listen again to this word of wisdom. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Or, the, or this one. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Scripture continually invites us to live on God's timeline and not our own. Even though I don't understand, I don't understand the big picture, I don't understand how everything fits together. Even though I can't understand because my head and my heart are just not big enough, Scripture invites us to give our plans over to God and to trust his good timing. I'd like to just share a couple of reflections on how this passage might impact our day-to-day lives. And, and the first question I want us to consider is this. What timetable or whose timetable are we living on? You'll see a quote from C.S. Lewis up there on the screen. Now let me read you the full quote. He writes this. If you picture time as a straight line along which we have to travel then you must picture God as the whole page on which the line is drawn. We come to the parts of the line one by one. We have to leave A behind before we get to B and cannot reach C until we leave B behind. But God, from above or outside or all around, contains the whole line and sees it all. Now, I'm no philosopher, and perhaps C.S. Lewis' description here is not all that precise. But you see his point, I hope. God's time, whatever that means, is vastly different to our experience in a finite world. And in one sense, we need to be attuned to the finite reality that we live in. In these time-bound bodies, moments are fleeting. There is often an urgency about life. We long to see our time used well and we grieve when it's not. I sometimes feel anxious thinking about the times that I might have wasted with my own children and worry that when I grow older I'll look back with regret at the moments I could have made more of. For some of us we feel the hands of time moving closer and closer towards the end of our lives living in this age And there's a melancholy that comes with that, I suspect. We feel the passing of time keenly and sometimes painfully. Yet there's another reality that is equally important. In Christ, we have been relocated onto a different timeline. Our time-bound bodies will be released from the tyranny of time in life eternal, 
where there is no rush for anything. In the hands of an eternal God, a moment extends forever, and a year is like a moment. And the thing is that when Jesus came into our time-bound reality, when the Word became flesh, God's eternal kingdom invaded this timeline. Our timeless God is working his purposes out in a time-bound creation. And so there's this tension. We see this tension of the world's timing and God's timing. Where the world shouts out, now, God often says, wait. When the world says, that menial task is not important, God says, actually, the little things really matter. When the world calls us to grasp hold of opportunities for self-promotion, God often says, let go. Scripture continually feeds the eternity that God has placed in our hearts that we might see life and our time in a different kind of way. That we might learn how to extend timely words to people around us. Timely lifts to the shops. Timely assistance for people moving homes. Timely food for those who are hungry. And timely presence for those who are alone. Second question that I want us to think about for a moment is what if God's timing is not my timing? You know, Jesus was so attuned to his Father's plan that he felt a deep sense of assurance that he was to wait to attend to that feast. But we lack the knowledge and insight and wisdom of Jesus. We aren't Jesus. I remember when my wife Emma and I went to Hong Kong. We were about 23 and when we arrived we had to work out how to get to our hotel. We went to the bus station and tried to interpret which route to take. In the end we blindly hopped on a bus and tried to speak to the driver who nodded his head with very broken English. And as we travelled on that bus, we had no map, no way to really communicate and no sense of direction. We didn't know where we needed to hop off and so we were just trusting the bus driver to get us there. And he did. But our lives and sense of timing can be a bit like that. While God's revealed so much of his plans to us in Jesus, we see and know so little about the wisdom of each day. In the conversations we have with people, we don't know what stories, what events have taken place in that person's life through the day. It's hard for us to respond with wisdom. And so there's moments when God's timing will seem terrible to us. Where his timing brings about grief and we just want to stop the bus. Maybe there'll be times when we want to rage and yell at the bus driver because of our pain. When we wonder if he can even hear us because our prayers seem unanswered. And the reality is that in this 
broken world, timing itself is often broken. There are things that happen when the timing can never be right. Death, violence, injustice. There are these horrors that don't belong and that will cause pain whenever they arise. And yet, in the hands of God, these broken things will also have their time. He'll use them for his glory even when we can't possibly imagine how. And he will bring their time to an end as the new creation dawns in full. I'm not sure where each of us are at, but I suspect we all wrestle with time. Not enough time. Wasted time. Bad timing. But we worship a king whose timing is so, so good. His timing is not always what we want. We might want him to act sooner or to wait longer. And yet at just the right time, he is bringing his purposes about in our lives and for the whole creation. And by his spirit, God is at work prompting and spurring us into action. Moving our hearts with compassion at the right moments. Filling us with love and a desire to show kindness for our neighbour. By his spirit, he draws us onto his timeline and uses us as his hands and feet to provide those serendipitous moments of God's grace to others, like some of the ones we heard earlier. May we prayerfully and patiently wait on the Lord and his timing, that he might place us in the right place at the right time to act for his glory. Though we are not Jesus, may we listen to the timely call of his spirit and be available to respond in our workplaces, in our communities, and in every sphere of life. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that at just the right time, our Lord Jesus died for us. And we can't fathom that, Lord. We can't fathom the big picture of all that is going on in the world and what could possibly be right timing. But you, Lord, in your wisdom and love, know all things. And you are so, so good. Lord, may you teach us to trust your timing. Teach us to be attentive to your spirit, guiding us, prompting us into action. And Lord, when your timing seems off to us, when it's hard to trust your timing, may you help us to learn to place our times in your hands and to trust that you will work your purposes out at the right time. Amen.